0: Well, here at Johnson Street, we're still celebrating Easter. We've been taking these Sundays that have followed Easter Sunday and looking at the result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this year in particular, we've been looking at the book of Revelation and noticing the pictures of heaven that Revelation provides for us about what's going on in the spiritual realm and what is to come in the spiritual realm. And today we skip to chapter 21 of Revelation, and now we're looking toward the future. So let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. See, it paints a beautiful picture of what lies before us, who are God's people. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. May God bless the reading of his word. Some of the best songs, some of those that stick in our minds the most, especially those of you who grew up in church. Are songs about heaven. You could probably name several. One that's been sort of going in my mind through this week as I've been reading this passage is, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. Sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, how beautiful heaven must be. But you know, even though those songs, you know, they may still be in our hearts and occasionally come to our mind, to be honest, I don't know that we do a lot of thinking about heaven anymore. It seems like in the past generations, there was more talk and more writing and just more longing for heaven. And for most of us, and some scholars say it's because we have it pretty good here, you know, that things are pretty good, so we don't really look about what's coming in the future. But for this morning and the few moments that we have left together, I want to invite you to think about heaven. And to visualize in your mind what heaven is for you. Have you got that picture? Now, I wish we had time to go around and just ask you know, what your picture of heaven is. For some of you, it may be the mountains. For some of you, it may be some beautiful scene in nature and you're thinking along those lines. For others of you, it may be more not so much a picture of something as, as a feeling that you might have, of thinking about a time when there will be no more struggles, there will be no more pain, there will be no more boredom. There will be no more loneliness. Well, whatever you may be thinking about heaven, you may be surprised to find out that you're thinking about the old heaven rather than the new heaven. We've been glimpsing heaven as we've gone through Revelation, and one of the points that the book of Revelation makes to us is that there is a spiritual realm that is coexisting with us, or rather probably we're more coexisting with it. The spiritual realm is really more real than the physical realm. And books such as Revelation, remember the curtain that's up here we keep pulling back? That's what the book of Revelation does. It sort of pulls that curtain back and says, look, look and see what's happening out there. And one of the points that it makes as it gives us a picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm is that what's going on in the spiritual realm is directly impacting what's happening in the physical realm, that there really is some connection between heaven and earth. For example, we've looked at how the worship of the church joins the worship that's going on in heaven. This is one of the reasons why we come together as the people of God to worship him. Is because what we're doing in this room has cosmic effect. That it really joins with the songs and with the prayers of those who now stand before the throne of God. That what we have done has mixed and mingled with their praise. And so what we've done here today is important. What we've done here today is significant. Heaven and earth may seem to be two totally different things, but there's really connection between the two. got a lot of Old Testament stories that talk about that. Remember Mount Sinai, where God descended down upon the, the, the mountain and how there was the smoke and the fire and the lightning and the thunder and the ground shook and the voice of God boomed out, I am the Lord your God. Or the New Testament talks about the connection between heaven and earth, where the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you may be going along through your life and you may be running into people and talking to them, but guess what? Some of the people you're talking to may not be people. They might be angels. Many people have entertained angels and not even known it, the New Testament tells us. And this reminds us of a story back in the Old Testament. Remember how Jacob, when he was running away from home and running away from God and just getting away from everything, and he lay down and went to sleep, and he had a vision. And in his vision, he saw something connecting heaven and earth. It was Jacob's ladder, really more like a staircase, probably. And what was happening on that staircase or ladder? The angels are going up and down and up and down. And one of the points that God wanted to make to Jacob is that you may think you're down here on earth all by yourself, but hey, heaven and earth are connected. There's things going on between the spiritual and the physical. And then if we take that same story and run ahead to the New Testament, Jesus talks about that story. In the first chapter, right at the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he's talking to some new disciples. And he said, you think you're just looking at a person here, but you're not. You're looking at the connection between heaven and earth. And you're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. That Jesus is that connection for us between heaven and earth, between the physical and the spiritual. And so heaven and earth, even right now, are connected together. But what we just read about in chapter 21 of Revelation is something different. John has been talking to us about what's been going on in the spiritual realm, what's going on on the earth. But in chapter 21, in this vision from God, his eyes are lifted up and he looks into the future. And he says, there is a time coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the interesting thing as we keep reading this is we find out that not only will there be a connection between the two, but the two seem to be welded even into one. For in this new heaven and new earth, God appears and comes to be with us forever. No more curtain, nothing separating the physical and the spiritual, but the new heaven and new earth will be a new creation and something totally different. So what I want us to do, ah, I only got 10 minutes this time, (laughs) is to spend the rest of our time exploring a little bit about what John tells us about this place and noticing how maybe it will be somewhat different, but especially noticing how good it's going to be. One thing that dawned on me just this week, you may be way ahead of me, you may say, oh, Tommy, I've known that for years. Have you ever noticed how the Bible begins with paradise and ends with paradise? When you read the first stories of the Old Testament, what do you read about? Paradise. And now here we're reading the last chapters of the New Testament. And what do we read about but paradise? But something has changed. A lot of things have changed. Because there's been a lot of stuff go on. I I told everybody this morning, that's a theological term. I hope you know that. You go look it up in your theological dictionary, stuff. and, And that really is about what has gone on all these years in between these two polarities of paradise and paradise. But something that's changed is this. What was paradise in the beginning? It was a garden. God created the Garden of Eden and placed in that garden His supreme creation of man and woman. Now in the end, as we look at the new heaven, it's no longer a garden, it's a City. Something's different. Something's changed. Now, people say, well, what's the deal with the imagery of the city? You know, some of you may not like cities too much. You may be thinking, I'm working to go to a city. You know, I'm going to die and wake up and be in a city. No thanks. Well, give it a chance to work on you and to find out why. Why would God represent What's going to be eternity now as a city? Well, one idea is that because God's people in the new creation are going to be all about community and all about living together and all about working with each other. You know, in a garden like the Garden of Eden, you know, you may think it'd be paradise. You could just walk around all you want to. You may not ever see another soul. You know, just you and God walking along. My God and I walk through the fields together. Yeah. That may be heaven for you. You know what I mean? Well, you're thinking of the old heaven. You've got to get that out of your mind, all right? In the new heaven, there's going to be a crowd that's so big you can't even count them. And in the earthly language that's used to describe this city sort of jumping ahead to next week's text, it's 1,500 square miles big. So God's expecting a lot of folks to come up there. And if you think it's just going to be you and the few people that agree with you, guess what? (laughs) There's going to be a lot of empty rooms if that's all that makes it. So there's going to be all these folks. And they're going to be working together because in a city, that's what it takes. In a city, people depend on you. And you depend on them. Most of you don't produce all your own food like you might have, your ancestors might have when they lived out on the farm somewhere. Most of you are dependent on someone to bring you your food and put it in the store. And you have to go then and you have to buy it. But you do your part too. That's how cities work. As I was thinking about this, I thought of this old story that all of y'all have heard too, and I thought, oh, everybody's heard that, you've got to find something new and fresh. But I kept thinking, hey, it just fits, so we're going to do it again. It's one of those stories that as I begin telling you, are going to go, oh, yeah. It's the story of a man who was given a vision of heaven and hell. He was taken first of all to hell, and as the doors opened up and he, you know, looked in to see what hell looked like, he was surprised Because it was kind of pretty. And there were all these tables spread out. And the tables were full of the most wonderful, richest, sweetest foods that you can imagine. So he thought, wow. You know, I've been trying not to go to this place. Looks pretty good to me. But then suddenly the alarm sounded and in walked the residents of hell. And as they walked in, he was amazed because they were emaciated and poor and ragged and miserable. And he thought, what's the deal here? Maybe they're going to sit down and they'll eat all this food and then everything will be wonderful. But as they began to sit down, he noticed that, uh, you already with me now? They didn't have any elbows. Their arms were straight and locked. They had no elbows. Therefore, they couldn't eat the food because without elbows... <laughs> You can't get the food to your mouth. So, hell was sitting in front of this wonderful feast and unable to eat it. The misery. So, then he was taken and shown heaven. The doors opened up, and guess what? It looked a lot like hell. There were the tables, there was the food. But when the alarm sounded and the people started coming in, they were happy, they were joking, they were fat, you know, they just were, just looked great. He thought, aha, so the difference is in heaven you've got elbows. But he started looking and thought, they don't have elbows either. But they all sat down and started feeding each other. That was the difference. And that's what heaven is it's for people that have learned that lesson that it's not just about me but it's all about my place for and with others the first paradise, the garden was lost, why? because of selfishness because of a decision that those original inhabitants made that was all about themselves they began thinking, you know This is pretty good, but there probably is more. And even though it took Satan as a serpent in a tree to convince them to go ahead and to do what they did, I kind of think they thought they were already thinking about doing it anyway. Already they'd begun to think a little bit about, well, I wonder what God is keeping from us. God's not really giving me as much as he could give me. God is not as good to us as he could be. And perhaps if we start fending for ourselves and taking care of ourselves, there's even more out there. Paradise was lost due to selfishness. The new paradise, the new heaven, has been opened up by an act of sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. The one who had everything, as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he who existed in the very form of God, on equality with God, who had everything, did not consider it the thing to be grasped and held onto for himself, but he emptied himself. He poured out himself and he made the sacrifice to come and to live with us. And not only that, but he made the sacrifice to come and to die for us. And not only that, but to die, as Alan pointed out, the worst possible death that we humans have ever concocted. So paradise was lost in an act of selfishness. It's been restored in an act of sacrifice. And that sets the tone for this new heaven. Quickly noticing, did you notice that there's something that's not in heaven? What was it? And there is no sea. I don't know if we got any navy people in here or not. I, I, I don't know if Bob Bruni wants to go to heaven now when he found out that there's no sea in heaven. For us the sea is sort of a place of enchantment and mystery and adventure. But for the people of the day that John was writing, the sea was a place of chaos and fear and terror and pain. And so he's saying that in the new heaven, you don't have to worry about those things anymore. And he even lists some of those things. There's no more dying, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, and every tear is wiped away. Whatever it is that's pressing on you today, whatever it is that is stressing you out, That's not going to be there, because the sea is gone. But what is there is God. You know, reading Revelation, I sometimes get a little distracted with all the descriptions of God and the description of heaven as far as gold and silver and pearls and jasper and because, I don't know, those, I know those are meaningful to some people, but to me they kind of leave me flat, and I think, okay. But where my ears really pick up is whenever John says, the important thing is, is that God will be there. And then he adds a word that is probably my favorite word in the English language, and it will be home. It's going to be home. It's going to be God's home and our home. You know the old sound that this world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through. And we're headed home. I like to travel. I like to go places. I like to see things. But one of the best parts about traveling is coming home, isn't it? And one of the, the, the most blessed feelings... Now, you may think I'm just silly. Well, you already knew I was silly. You may even think I'm sillier. But one of those feelings that I like to go to sometimes and remember how is that first time after you've been gone for a while and you go and you slip into your own bed. I want to tell y'all, I've got the best bed in the world. It feels so good. It's my bed. And... Whenever I've been out and going and doing and then you get to crawl into that bed and it just feels right and you're home. Over the past year and a half, my family has had the duty of cleaning out my parents' house and then my grandparents' house. I had an aunt that lived in my grandparents' house until she recently passed away, so that got sort of postponed a few years. And so we just recently cleaned that out. and, And as we did that, These thoughts about what home is really impacted my sister and I. Because seeing things and remembering events that went on in these rooms that we were walking through for the last time. And that day that, a couple of weeks ago, that we walked away from that house knowing that we would never enter it again. And thinking about all the things that had happened there, we lingered on the front porch now, you young folks, you don't know what a front porch is. You don't even go in the front door at your house, probably, much less ever linger on the front porch. Any of you folks remember front porches? Oh, yeah, man. Now nah, there's great things today, but one of the greatest things of yesteryear were front porches. And I can't tell you how many hours I sat on that front porch with my grandparents eating Coke floats. Half the people in that little town sat on their front porch. The other half got in their cars and drove around and waved at the people on the front porches. <laughs> it was great. It was home. And that old porch is dilapidated now and doesn't look like it used to look. But in my sister, in my mind, it was still home. And, okay, why well, am I? Might, you've got your own pictures of that. You know what home feels like. Even those of you. Who home right now may not be very pleasant for you, you know what it's been, or you know what you really are hungry for in home. Well, you take that picture and you blow it up and blow it up and blow it up, and that's the new heaven right there. But when you get there, you will be home. The new heaven and the new earth await for us, and we desire to go there. But you know what? You don't have to wait to start enjoying it right now. That's another one of the great messages of the New Testament, is that even this new heaven and this new earth begin to break into our lives today. And if you want to be people of the kingdom of God, if you want to be people who already experience a little heaven on earth, well, start living Right now, like you're there. And doing the things of heaven. Part of that you've done today. You've come and you've worshipped God. Keep it up. Grow in it. Do it more. Always be a part of a worshipping community. Always. Because that's a little heaven on earth. But then also, hear the lesson and hear the lesson well. Begin living in the city of God today and open your hearts into the lives of others. One thing about the New Testament is filled with encouragement to start living with a little heaven on earth right now. We call them one another passages through the Bible, where it's always telling us to love. One another. Let me read just a couple of them. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, way back there, even in the Garden of Eden, in that first paradise, This is the message that you heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who loves already knows God. You want to start experiencing home in heaven right now? Open your hearts to others. Remember, paradise is destroyed by selfishness. And if you want to live a life where paradise is lost... Think of yourself. If you want to live a life that's full of heaven, turn then your eyes to others. One more is all I've got time for. I I love this passage out of Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another. Don't be exclusive. Don't exclude. Don't push away. Accept one another. Just as Christ has accepted you in order so that you will bring praise to God. Isn't that marvelous? It begins with our walking into the arms of Jesus. And there's not a person in this room that Jesus will not embrace if we will but step toward him. But once we've been embraced by Jesus, he puts his arm around us and he walks around with us and he's always started goosing you and saying, open your arms up, Tommy, and you embrace these others. And if we do, we'll find heaven on earth and look forward to that day when we'll all go home. We're going to stand in just a moment. I used to, when, you know when I first started preaching, I know I'm out of time, <laughs> I always tried to find different ways to end the sermon because as soon as people figured out it was over, they started getting their psalm books out. Remember that? <laughs> Now everybody just looks up at the screen. (laughs) But something important is about to happen here. Our elders that are here right now and some of our staff members are going to make their way to the sides and to the back of this room. And that's your invitation to take a step toward Jesus so that he can embrace you. It's your invitation to come and to let him put his arms around you in prayer and in counsel so that you can truly know that He cares and loves for you. But it's also an invitation, not only to take a step toward Him, but to begin walking with Him. So as our leaders make their way to the positions, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and don't you leave this place without carrying some heaven in your heart. Let's stand and sing.